and welcome to Informed, a podcast series where you will hear industry experts share their thought-provoking insights and lessons in the field of medical communications. This series is brought to you by ISMAP and is generously sponsored by MedThinks SciComm. The opinions shared by the presenters today are our own and do not represent those of our employers. My name is Caroline Holford and I'm the Development Director for Medical Education at Springer Healthcare, which is part of the Springer Nature Group. Most of my time at Springer has been spent overseeing the open access AIDIS journals, who've become known for publishing a range of digital features alongside their articles. I will be your guest host for today's episode and my colleagues and I were part of an ISMAPU webinar in June entitled Digital Features are they really worth the effort? Now, this podcast is a follow-up to that webinar and will allow us to answer some of the questions that we received from the audience, but we were unable to do so during the live webinar. So joining me today are Joe Walker and Adeline Rosenberg. Joe and Adeline, please could you introduce yourselves? Thanks, Caroline. So I'm um, Joe Walker. I'm co-founder and um, publishing director at uh, Bicaris Publishing. So I'm looking forward to um, yeah, continuing our conversation around sort of the digital features webinar. And um, I'm now going to pass over to Adeline. Thanks both. My name is Adeline Rosenberg and I'm a senior medical writer um, in patient engagement at Oxford Pharmagenesis and I'm really looking forward to being here today. Perfect. Thank you both. So without further ado, let's get started by answering the first question that we got from the audience after our ISMAPU webinar. So first question is more of a comment than a question. We have to tighten up the terminology. Even in this presentation, we are talking about infographics, graphical abstracts, graphical summaries, etc. Basically the same thing. It's confusing, although it's easy for ourselves. And alignment on the terminology will help patients and others to more easily find the information that they're looking for. So I think this is a really good question to get us started because I think this person that asked the question made a really good point because publishers and other platforms use a lot of different features, uh, lots of different terms for digital features. For example, when I was with the ADIS journals, they called them digital features where I know the terminology in GPP 2022 calls them digital enhancements. I've also seen them called enhanced features. And actually, in our webinar, we asked the audience for their preferred feature uh, term, and we got lots of different responses. So there was no consensus even amongst us healthcare medical comms professionals on what we should call them. So to answer this, I will say to the audience, please look out for ISMAP announcements. We are working on something to try and refine the term. So keep your eyes peeled. Joe or Adeline, do you have any more comments on that before we move to the next question? Just from me, I think that we just need consensus. (laughs) We need to start calling them one thing and then everyone go with that. That's just my comment really. So (laughs) yeah, let's build consensus on what they should actually be called. And that's a really good starting point as well. (laughs) Yeah. And I think for me, I think sort of the first step towards building consensus is first hearing um, what people across the industry are using and you know what the majority are saying that that we can then build a consensus from yeah great point well thank you both yeah completely agree because i think if we're thinking about digital features and findability then yeah actually having a term that we can all use is going to be important so this leads me nicely onto the next question that we got from the audience which is do you consider podcasts a digital feature and if so are there any metrics now joe i'd like to ask this one to you please 
Yeah, happy to answer. And yeah, I mean, it's a really good question because, you know, podcasts and all these sort of digital features are really becoming, you know, a lot more popular. I know that several journals, you know, in particular the ADIS journals um, and also um, Taylor and Francis, Sage, Future Science Group, all can now sort of publish a variety of sort of podcast type articles. So I know, know that the sort of um, the general opinion is if the podcast is a discussion of an article, it's part of the article, then that is a digital feature. But ADIS also um, do the sort of more um, standalone podcast articles where it's a brand new article, but it's published in a podcast format and often is accompanied with a sort of peer-reviewed talking points or script or something so that people can sort of listen to the podcast article and also read it as as well. And I know that ADIS have some really good metrics on um, how people are sort of using that content, of the, how they're listening to it, you know, where they listen to it, how many people read it, how many people listen to it, um, that sort of thing. So Caroline, did you have any sort of particular sort of stats that you wanted to share or if you can um, recall? Yeah, actually, I'm so glad that we were asked this question about podcasts uh, because, yeah, the standalone podcast articles, from my experience, have been one of the most widely engaged with digital innovative article types that I've seen. Um, And the metrics that we have seen are often attributed to several factors. And one of them is it's the multi-format of the education. So the fact is that the podcast is published on, you know, the the audio is on Springerlink, but it's also on Spotify, Deezer, Google Play, Apple Music. But the important point is, is that the full text transcripts is also published on PubMed and Springerling and all the indexing sites. And the feedback and the metrics that we get is that it's this combination of the audio and the text that bring the engagement, not just the engagement, because feedback that we get from our authors is that even though audio is great, lots of people are still readers. They still prefer to read and skim text rather than listen to the audio. So providing that multi-format is important. But also the transcripts leads to increased findability. Because when you think about it, podcasts, when we talk on a podcast, we're talking in plain language. We're not using highly technical academic terms like that might be used in a manuscript. And we Google in the same way. So when we're Googling for scientific literature, we'll often Google in more collegiate terms which means that you're more likely to pick up the transcripts on on Google search and get back to the podcast. So if I was to pick a a digital innovation podcast, standalone podcast articles, which are not digital features, are actually one of the most popular ones. Adeline or Joe, uh, do you have any more comments to make on this question before we move on? No, I think you've covered it quite nicely. Perfect. All right, then. So moving on to the next question. So... This uh, is to do with plain language summaries. Someone asked the question, there were a couple of studies presented in our webinar about position preferences for plain language summary formats. Adeline, I think you presented this section. Would you be able to expand on this preference? So did the physician preference for PLS include text-based PLS and and infographic style PLS or, or both? Yes. So there were a couple of different studies that were presented during the webinar that this question 
question is referring to. Um, and all of the references will be included in the transcript available on the ISMAP informed webpage. But in brief, from one study, uh, more healthcare professionals um, found plain language summaries very or extremely useful. That was ahead of infographics and videos. Similarly, another group of general healthcare professionals preferred uh, plain text, plain language summaries for ease of reading over graphical formats. But interestingly, in a study of rare disease healthcare professionals, um, infographics were actually valued ahead of plain language summaries. Oh, wow. So that's interesting in itself, isn't it? The, there's not one particular PLS format that will suit all. No, types. exactly. It's it's not going to be a one size fits all. And it's really going to be about listening to your audience and um, tailoring your content to fit their needs. Well, thank you. Thank you for that um, extra information, Adeline. That's really interesting. Going on to the next question, an audience member asked, regarding video extenders, what are the general thoughts about placing the videos on both a broad platform like YouTube and on the journal website in order to drive more traffic to the original publication? Joe, can I ask you this as the expert publisher? Yeah, happy to help. And I know that you and I... Um disagree slightly on this so maybe I'm happy to give my opinion and then maybe you can give yours as well and the audience can decide for themselves <laughs> so in my opinion I think all you know any video abstracts that sort of thing should be on YouTube to sort of really help their discoverability you know YouTube's you know it's more or less the PubMed as such for for videos so videos should be put on YouTube to sort of really maximize this discoverability and then publishers can then use that sort of embed code that YouTube provides and then publish the videos alongside the original article as well on their journal platform and then in by doing so you sort of have you know the one place original source video on the YouTube platform but also alongside the original article and then you know you can capture metrics you know readership views that sort of thing using the um, YouTube the way that they can present their data as well so I think it's sort of uh, you know as I've said it's like a PubMed medline for videos and I think it, they should all be on there as you know in the first instance but I know that you have slightly different opinion and <laughs> we can see what people think. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for <laughs> setting that up, Joe. Yeah, it's so interesting. When you describe it like that, it's hard to argue with the rationale for putting videos on YouTube because we all know that people Google rather than using PubMed to search. So, and YouTube does come up in searches. So yeah, in theory, I agree with you. I think that's a great place to host video abstracts. And if you can, if you do have the ability to put a widget in the article to link through to YouTube, I think that's great. However, <laughs> in my experience, when I've worked with portfolios that have use YouTube um, as well as the video platform. We see so much more traffic just purely on the article um, on the article page. And I'd rather have that because I'd rather keep the audience for the article with the full text paper. So so that, you know, if people come across the video, they've always got that article alongside it. So you've got the peer-reviewed text version and, and the multi-format video. So I, yeah, I personally, the, the metrics I've seen from my own personal experience, it's, it's better to keep it all on one platform, but maybe with YouTube as a secondary home, as long as you have the appropriate links to make sure that anyone that finds the video can get back to the journal platform platform um but maybe maybe the thing that you're describing actually just <laughs> means that you've got much better ways of embedding video content within the journal platform I think it's also uh, the best option for those journals that 
can't publish videos, where the authors want to do a video, but the Blurnal platform doesn't allow it, then they, they would just have to use YouTube as a, as a place to put the video and then link to the original article. But yeah, as you said, I think as long as there's that link between the original article and the video, and that people know that the video is the video of that article, you know, and then people can sort of find it, hopefully, either by through the journal and the video, and then the video and then the journal article. But either way, they should find each other, hopefully, if it all works well. <laughs> yeah, no, perfect. No, that makes that makes perfect sense. And it's a good point about as a home for if or, if there is no journal platform, uh, it's a great place for authors to host their videos. Do you have any um, other comments about, uh, you know, that you want to add before we move on to the next question? Yeah, so I think the main thing, um, so, you know, in terms of metrics, I think that could be a sort of a whole new conversation about metrics of digital features. But I think the main thing is to sort of really for, um, you know, people who are sort of planning publications to think about what metric of the digital feature that they want to measure, how they can do that, you know, with the publisher or, you know, with the, with the journal and how the journal can help them sort of capture that information. Or if they can't, you know, that journal can't, you know, capture that specific information. Can they then think about using Figshare or other, you know, sort of YouTube or videos, etc. And then thinking about the metrics that that platform provides. Um, so I really just think it depends on what you want to know up front. You need to plan for that rather than sort of trying to reactively think, oh, I wonder how many have done it. And then you can't actually measure that, which sort of maybe, um, you know, I, know, I know everyone always talks about sort of ROI on these sort of digital features as well. So I think knowing what metrics you want to measure up front is just key. Yeah, that's an excellent point, actually. It's so much easier to decide that at the beginning than you can work with the different platforms to see if that's possible. Thank you, Joe. That's a great comment there. Next question. This question is, can you speak uh, to DOIs of digital features when enhanced content is part of the same article DOI, e.g. in supplementary materials or a graphical abstract figure? How can authors or sponsors obtain metrics about the feature independent of the article? Now, uh, yeah, I don't mind sort of uh, speaking on this and then I'd, I'd love to hear your, you know, your expertise as well. From my perspective, when enhanced content is part of the same article, it will share the same DOI. So it's always citable with the same uh, with the same formats. Uh, but there are still ways that you can get metrics of the feature on its own, such as, for example, if you embed a video into the journal platform, there are often ways to obtain metrics from the publisher on, for example, how many people have clicked on the video, how long they've stayed on the video, or for example, if you're hosting on Figshare, you can see how many people click through to Figshare and how long that they stay on there. It's harder to do for, for example, an embedded infographic where it might not be physically possible to see how many pairs of eyes hovered over that bit of the article. It's also sometimes possible to look at the impacts of a digital feature embedded in the article by looking at social attention. For example, sometimes authors will talk about a digital feature on Twitter as part of an article, or they'll share that particular bit of the article on Twitter, which will give you a sense that they've engaged with that feature and found it worthwhile to share. But thinking about features with their own DOIs, some publishers do share all of their features on Figshare, which every Figshare page has its own DOI, which means that it does have its own citation. Um, so you, you can cite the feature alone if you want to. And actually, this is what Pfizer have done for their own PLS, a digital feature platform. I'd encourage anyone to look it up. If you look up Pfizer and Figshare on, on Google, you'll find it. It's a free to access Pfizer-owned searchable platform where they host 
plain language summaries and digital features associated with their published articles, such as uh, yeah, PLS, infographics, etc. And each feature contains a link back to the published article. And in my opinion, linking back to what you've said, Joe, this is also a really good solution to publish features if the journal it themselves can't host it. So I know we're, we're getting to the end of the uh, the podcast now. So I want to move on to this question, um, specifically thinking about PLS. One of our audience members asked, it would be great if there was a separate designated PLS-specific PubMed. It seems to muddy the waters if scientific or technical articles are mixed in with PLS on PubMed. Do you see the prospect of a PLS-only large repository or subsection for PubMed? So, Joe and Adeline, over to you. Um, I'll take that first. So, yeah, firstly, I don't think that will muddy the waters at all, primarily because they are all clearly labelled what's the abstract and what's the plain language summary, but also because we know that people are accessing PubMed looking for information um, and, you know, coming across these technical abstracts, which can be a barrier to accessing information. And so having those plain language summaries in the same place where they're already looking just makes it that much easier to get the information that they need. Yeah, I have to agree with that. I think, you know, PubMed is where everyone, you know, is the natural place where people come across scientific content. You know, we need to think that plain average summaries are not just for, you know, patients. They're also for people who, you know, you know, your HCP, your doctor who comes across an article. And if there's a really technical abstract, they might prefer to actually read the plain average summary because it just takes them a lot less longer to sort of process that information. Then they can then link through to the, the full article and then read that full scientific article. So it's kind of a bridge between the sort of the technical scientific abstract and then the full article as well. And I think so with it comes to the standalone PLSPs as well. They are scientific content and this is the place for PubMed. So that is where they should be indexed as well. And you know when it comes to the sort of the last part of the question which was the a PLS only repository or subsection for PubMed, I know there have been sort of as there's been a lot of work between sort of publishers and various other companies and agencies etc looking at that. And I think it would be a, a fantastic idea, but it's very much still open to discussion. It's uh, There's talks are underway, but it's um, it's just a, a work in progress and trying to figure out all the different nuances of how you can sort of get these um, indexed and sort of compliantly, etc. So I think, you know, in the first instance, then these should all then be in PubMed because that's just the natural home for these this type of content. So I think more, more ways should be done as well to try and get as much content as possible and to make other publishers know that PLS can be indexed on PubMed as well. So there's still work to be done there. Yeah, completely agree. Okay, so moving on to a different topic here. Um, we had a question from uh, an audience member that says, well, it says another comment. Publishers need to better understand that digital features are shown upfront to maximise accessibility. Stop burying them in the supplementary material when nobody can find them. Okay, Joe, can I uh, can I ask you to to address this, please? Yeah, this is a, a tri- tricky question. I mean, it's one that is so important. We, again, it's you know ROI for these features. You know, we need to make everything um, discoverable and you know accessible, that sort of thing. And I know that publishers do have that in mind when they publish these features, but they're often sort of constrained by their journal platforms. You know, many of the systems that um, publishers work on are quite outdated. And then if they want to do an update with that company, it can be quite costly, not very cost effective. You know, if you want to sort of, you know, you have an article, you want to publish a video, but you only have that one article and that one video, and it could cost thousands to actually publish that video on the platform. It doesn't really make it make it cost effective. So it's kind of a, you know, chicken and egg situation, really. I think, you know, also publishers really need to sort of take 
take a sort of step back sometimes and think about how their content is read by their readers. They need to become the sort of take that reader journey and think, right, so I'm coming across an article. What's the best way for me to find the digital feature, the infographic, that sort of thing? So I think, you know, pu- yeah, publishers just need to do that. But again, that's that's time, you know, cost for that time, etc. It, it's all very much a work in progress. Uh, there's a specific tag on PubMed, for instance, where you can tag plain language summaries so that they're findable um, on PubMed. Um, so you can just publish and share that information with the, the indexing in the med- metadata to say that they have that information. So then people can go along, you know, if they want to find sort of, you know, if they're looking at breast cancer, graphical abstract, they could then pull up all those articles on breast cancer that have a graphical abstract. But again, this would have to be a work in progress and could be part of this sort of, you know, ecosystem that we're looking to develop for publishing um, digital features. I don't know if you had any sort of thoughts, Adeline, you know, you're probably coming more from the the reader perspective as well. (laughs) Yes. I mean, speaking from experience, if you are constrained to only including your digital features in the supplement, which is, is still better than, than not doing them at all. You can always signpost or signal to their existence in the supplement, um, even in the abstract, just ending with a sentence saying a plain language summary is available in the supplement. And then that way, you know, readers know to go look in the supplement to find it. And also if it's in the abstract, that sentence will be pulled through to PubMed. So even if the digital feature in the supplement is not on PubMed itself, there's at least a signpost to it from the PubMed page. That's a really good idea, Adeline. Yeah, I really like the thought of thinking laterally there. Um, yeah, hopefully um, people will take up that that tip. Um, <laughs> great tip for discoverability. Okay, moving on to uh, the next question here. Is there a way we can identify which journals permit publishing digital features, like a platform which lists out journals offering digital features? Now, Adeline, you're sort of working with all the clients and the authors to, uh, to do this every day. Uh, can you give your insights, please? Yeah, so there's not currently um, sort of one platform or um, directory or list that we'd necessarily recommend in terms of those that are offering offering digital features. But we do tend to just go for those that we know are um, enhancement friendly. So, you know, the likes of Feature Science Group, Bacaris, Adis, Sage, Taylor and Francis. There's many other individual journals out there as well. But for the most part, we would would defer to those portfolios that we know are already doing it well. And ultimately, just ask the publisher as well, you know, if we are wanting to go to another journal that isn't necessarily on our list, we would ask them. it's one thing that Kelly always says is ask the publisher. Yes, and Kelly's always quite right, actually. Yes, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you'd agree, Joe. Just from my perspective, I know publishers aren't always the best at advertising the fact that they can do digital features, but if you reach out to them, you might be surprised that you know they might be able to do it, even if it's not necessarily um, in their instructions for authors. So good advice, Adeline. I think people are a little bit of afraid to ask to reach out to publishers or editors. I think they might, you know, get their head bitten off for asking a ridiculous question. But I think publishers well, from our, my perspective anyway, probably very biased. But I think, you know, publishers are friendly. They like having that communication with authors. So, you know, it's in our business to to please authors. So I think you should, you know, even if the journal says they can't do it, at least the author knows that um, that option is not available to them. So I think it's just in the first instance. As, yeah, Kelly from um, Taylor & Francis says, just ask the publisher. <laughs> That's what we're here for. Oh, thank you, Joe. I, I appreciate your insights. Yeah, yeah, great advice there. Okay, so this is the last question before we, we sign off. Do you think featured articles or editorials focusing on digital features would help to engage the interest in developing these features? 
Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> of course. Yeah. Yes. When we started looking into the um, you know background of the webinar, there's just you know it was over a hundred articles or references on digital features. So I think that's very good. For, you know, for a nice systematic review or an article that summarises all this information, and you know, and that's something that um, that definitely we to do. We need to do more of. You know, through webinars, articles, podcasts, that sort of thing as well. And it's something that we're also working on in progress currently. So I'd say keep your eyes peeled for more content. Great, Tim. Thank you, Adelaide. We will. Well, I hope all the audience will keep their eyes peeled. Okay, so thank you. Thank you both for your answers and your insights for taking the time to answer all these questions from our ISMAPU webinar. If you are interested in the original ISMAPU webinar, please go to the ISMAP website or find the link in the description or written transcript of this podcast. The webinar is free to members. Thank you for listening to Be Informed. For medical communication professionals, please take a minute to subscribe to the show on your favourite podcast app, inform your colleagues and rate our show highly if you liked what you heard today. We hope you'll also join us at an upcoming ISMAPU webinar or even consider becoming a member of our association. Just go to ismap.org. That's ismpp.org to learn more. I'm Caroline Halford. Goodbye.